0: (laughs) good all right good morning glad you're with us this morning if you're a visitor um, we're in the middle of a uh, sermon series called uh, the god who redeems we uh, began several weeks ago looking at genesis and in genesis we discovered why we face and uh, go through some of the challenging things we do in life and so we're uh, rapidly moving through Genesis till my turn today. Uh, when, uh, when Ronnie said, Let's uh, divide up some of these passages and take, I said, I'll take Joseph until I realized it's 14 chapters long. And so, why did I do that? I don't know. That's I'm crazy, but you're loving it, aren't you? I'm scared. <laughs> But anyway, as as you think about uh, this whole subject of the God who redeems, it's key for us as we look at our passage this morning to see this continual thread through Scripture that's going to take us all the way to Revelation eventually, understanding that it's God's intent and purpose to redeem his people that have been separated from him by sin. And so this morning, as uh, we approach this passage, and I'm going to give you the cliff-nosed version of Genesis 37 through 50. That's uh, a big chunk, Jeffrey, to to deal with this morning. So you get the cliff-nosed version. But as I thought about this story, if you're not familiar with the story of Joseph this morning, uh, a, a movie that I saw... Uh, with this, within this last year, kind of came to mind to me. Is, have you ever seen the movie Unbroken? Uh, story of this uh, guy named Louis Zamperini, who uh, had a real troubled childhood and uh, kept getting himself into trouble. Started running, eventually made it to the Olympics to run. And in 1936, he had that opportunity to be in the Olympics. World War II breaks out. He gets uh, into the military and the Air Force, and on one of the uh, bombing runs in his plane that he was on, they get shot down over the Pacific Ocean. He spends 47 days in a raft and survives, only to be rescued by a Japanese uh, Navy ship. He's taken into custody as a prisoner of war meets this really cruel, cruel prison commander named the bird who tortures him. He thinks he escaped by getting moved to another camp, only to find out that guy's at that camp. And you think, how could this get any worse? Well, as you look at the story of Joseph this morning, it kind of follows this same pattern. You look at his life and you say, how could it get any worse for Joseph? Joseph. But through it, we're going to see God's hand guiding and directing and steering his life. And through that, I want us to recognize that there's some great lessons for us as we read this this morning. The book of Genesis begins to slow down in these 14 chapters we're going to look at. There's only about four generations that are covered in the passages we will look at. And there's one main person who is the center of this. It's a man named Joseph. Almost one-third of Genesis talks about the story of Joseph. So I think God has some really important things he wants to teach us this morning. Back in Genesis chapter 12, God told Abraham to leave where he was living He didn't tell him where he would go, but he said, I will make your name great, I will bless you, I will bless your descendants, and I will bless all families on earth by you. And so God had set forth these promises for Abraham. And we will look at uh, how some of these are lived out and carried out this morning. Abraham had a son named Isaac, who had two sons, Jacob, And Esau. Jacob has 12 sons who become the 12 tribes of Israel. Genesis 37 through 50 focuses on one of those sons, Joseph. It's interesting also in Genesis chapter 15, God tells Abraham that he and his family and God's people will spend 400 years in captivity. In Egypt. You'll read this morning how that happens. How did they get to Egypt? We'll find out. There's an important thing I want us to remember before I dig in and you strap on your seatbelt because I got to fly or I'm going to run out of time. God is never surprised by anything we or others face in life, there's absolutely nothing That God does not see, that God does not know, or that God is not over. And he uses them, no matter what they are, for our purposes. I was thinking as I wanted to present this this morning, uh, something I learned years ago is, uh, I think when we look at these portions of scripture that are tough and big, specifically, You have to learn how to read your Bible with a kind of satellite view. And here's what I mean. If I'm going to take a trip and I get on my computer and I go to Google Maps, if I'm going to go to Florida, I don't start with a street view. I'd be going insane trying to figure out how I'm going to get to Florida. So I start with a big picture view, and I'm more easily able to see what takes place. And so this morning, as we look at the study, I want you to kind of think of that image of a satellite view as you uh, look at the life of Joseph. If you live with a street view, chapter by chapter, you'll be scratching your heads thinking, what in the world is God doing? And I think that happens in our own life if we're not careful. We need to step back and learn to have this far off view of what God is doing. Unfortunately, most times. We can't fully see that till we went through it. We're blessed to have scripture, to give us this satellite view and guide this morning that will bring all this to a point that makes sense. You know, a life of faithfulness, as we'll see in Joseph's life, most times is pretty hard. It's not easy. I don't know where you are in your spiritual life this morning, I've walked uh, many years now with the Lord, I'm thankful to say. But most times, this life of faith we're called to live isn't just this picture-perfect journey. It can be tough. You know, we're either battling against our sinfulness, which brings about a result that causes me some pain and heartache or struggles that God wants to do in my own life, Or what's more difficult many times is we battle against the sinfulness of others or the sinfulness that's present in our world. Now, when I bring it on myself, I'm just going to tell you it's a lot easier for me to deal with. But when it's somebody else's, that's more difficult. I want you to remember something this morning that I'm going to refer to here and by the end of our time, and it's this. Remember this. God is always at work redeeming us personally, redeeming his people corporately, and moving toward a final redemption in this world we live on. Let me say it again. God is always at work redeeming us personally, redeeming his people corporately, and moving towards a final redemption of the world in which we live in. And so this redemption, this restoring, this bringing back to God's original design and purpose is happening in our life, in his people's life, each and every day, 24-7. So the satellite view of chapters 37 through 50 shows us God's covenant blessing being carried out that he promised to Abraham through some difficult situations in Joseph's life. So let's dig in. Genesis chapter 30, verses uh, 1 all the way through chapter 50. Remember, sin is always at work attempting to keep God from his work of redemption. But nothing can stop God's plan, ever. We learn in Genesis chapter 37, again, if you have your Bibles or your phones or iPads, you can... Follow along, I'll try to catch you up as we go. Genesis 37, Joseph arrives on the scene, and verses 1 through 4 tell us that he's 17 years old when this story begins. It begins by telling us that Joseph is loved more by his father Jacob than all of his brothers. As a matter of fact, Joseph gives... Uh, or, or Jacob gives Joseph a special coat. If you grew up in Sunday school, it was told to be a coat of many colors. To be honest with you, the text doesn't say that. It just says it's a special coat. Well, it wasn't long before the brothers of Joseph become very jealous of him. In the first four verses, it says that Joseph brought a bad report about his brothers to the father. I want to stop for a moment and think about that. What I learned from the first few verses of Jacob looks really different than the Joseph I learn about later in Scripture. I wonder if uh, either Joseph is a very truthful and obedient person or if he could have been arrogant and maybe a tattletale and like to stir up some dissension in the family. I happen to take that position as I look at Joseph's life. In verses 5 through 9, Joseph has two dreams, and he tells it to his brothers. And in these dreams, it talks about the brothers one day bowing down before him. Joseph, the younger, being over all the brothers. matter of fact, the second dream includes Jacob, the father, and says the father will bow before him. And again, I begin to wonder if there's not evidence of some arrogance and pride and lack of humility possibly on Joseph's part. Kind of preaching to his brothers and his family that, hey, one day you're going to bow before me. Well, the brothers go off to pasture the flock of the father. And Jacob sends Joseph to check on them. And the scripture says that while Joseph was coming to his brothers. they begin to the plot to kill him. They see him coming, the younger brother, and they start talking about killing their brother. It says that they want to kill him and throw him into one of the pits where they were at. Reuben, the oldest brother, says, no, let's don't throw kill him let's just throw him into the pit and i think reuben's motive was that he could maybe then uh, rescue him taking back to the father and gain some points and maybe kind of get to the status that joseph was at well they take joseph's special coat and they throw him into the pit and then it says they sit down and eat you know this image of his brothers throwing him into a pit either going to kill him or hope he dies and they sit down and they have a nice meal together. And you kind of wonder, you know, is he crying out? Hey, g- come on, guys, give me out of the pit. That's enough. Well, a caravan of Ishmaelites are coming along that the brothers see. And so they sell Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. Sound familiar? Jesus being sold. For silver? To go to the cross? Sold out? Well, the brothers now devise a plan to cover what they've done. So they rip up his coat. They kill a goat and smear the blood of the goat on his coat to take back and show the father and say that a wild animal had killed him. Sound familiar again? An innocent animal killed to cover the sin? As we saw in the Garden of Eden. Well, meanwhile, Joseph sold again, and this time to the captain of the guard and officer of Pharaoh of Egypt. If you have your Bibles, look with me real quick in Genesis 39 and read what it says. Now, Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of a guard, and the Egyptian who had brought him from the Ishmaelites, had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in the sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of the house and put him in charge of all that he had. So he's going to be killed. He's thrown into a pit. He's bought and sold into slavery. He's sold again into slavery. Can it get any worse? He's in the house. He's got a lot of power. He's overseeing all of this high-ranking official's things, and it gets worse. Potiphar's wife... Likes Joseph. She has an eye for him. The text, if we read here, would say that Joseph was a very handsome man. And so Potiphar's wife has an eye for him. And uh, it says that he resists her day after day after day. Kind of like watching The Bachelor. In verse 9, as he's being tempted and she goes after him, he makes this great statement in chapter 39 saying, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? He has set some moral parameters in his life, and I want us to stop and think about that for a moment. God seems to be teaching Joseph some real important things in his life. Joseph loved God so much he is able to see that all sin is against God. And so he fears God more than he fears his circumstances. A hard life of faithfulness is observed. But this hard life is getting Joseph ready for something God has planned for him of greater value. Well, this text, this portion of scripture says one day she grabs him, kind of attacks him, and he runs out of the house basically in his underwear. A pretty humiliating thing. She accuses him that he attacked her, and so now Potiphar throws him in jail. It's a great story, right? It's really encouraging, Jeff. Where, Where are we going with this? You need the satellite view here, folks. So now Joseph's in prison, but the Lord shows him favor as we follow with the story. And Joseph's put over all the prisoners in jail. And it says he found favor with God and with the chief jailer. Genesis 40. Joseph meets two really important people while he's in jail. One is the chief cupbearer. And the other is the chief baker for Pharaoh. And while he's in jail with them, they have dreams that they cannot interpret. And so Joseph interprets their dreams. And Joseph, after he does so, tells the chief baker, remember me. Because the dream says he's going to get out of prison. Remember me when you get out. And save me from prison. Well, check this out. Two years go by. Since the baker is out of prison. Joseph is still in prison. And he waits. And the slow work of God continues. Well, the baker finally remembers. He brings Joseph to Pharaoh. Pharaoh. And in verse 41, 16, Pharaoh has asked Joseph to interpret his dream. And Joseph says, it's not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. You see how God is at the center now in Joseph's life. It's not about him being over people. It's not about him. Well, the dream Joseph has is about 14 years of uh, calamity, or seven years of calamity that's going to happen to the nation. There'll be seven years of plenty, seven years of drought and famine, and Joseph says, we need to prepare. And so, again, Joseph finds favor in the Lord and with Pharaoh, and Pharaoh appoints him over all things in Egypt. No one's greater than the Pharaoh in Egypt at this point. And Joseph said, hey, for the seven years of plenty, we need to store up food. Meanwhile, chapter 42 through 44, the famine is so great that everyone is coming to Egypt to buy food. Jacob hears that grain is available. Jacob, Joseph's father, remember. And so he sends his sons to Egypt to buy food. Guess who's in charge of selling food? Joseph. Joseph, the one that his brothers try to kill and throw into prison. And so we see this face-to-face encounter between Joseph and his brothers, but they don't recognize him. Joseph is the only one who recognizes his brothers. There's a key point here. Joseph remembers in his dreams, but this time things transpire a little different. Yes, the brothers will come and bow. But the arrogance seems to be gone at this point for me as I read this story. Even though when he inquires of them, they say, hey, we're honest men. What an irony. Joseph keeps one brother back, sends the others back to his father with grain and tells them, you can have this brother back if you bring the youngest back with you. Well, they eat all the food that they went back with. Jacob is resistant to send the youngest brother because he doesn't want to lose another son. But he gives him and they finally come back. And when they arrive, Joseph sees Benjamin, the youngest brother of his. And he throws a big feast. And at the feast, his heart is stirred with love and compassion. And he weeps over the brothers that tried to kill him. Verses 4 through 9 of chapter 45. 45, 4 through 9. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near, and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now, do not be discouraged or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. You see this change in Joseph's heart? You see this satellite perspective that he's able to step away with and see? You know, from Abraham all the way up to this point, God is going to bring about the salvation of his people. And how's he going to do it? It seems kind of bleak until you get to this point where Jacob says he's going to do it by bringing and allowing some calamity to happen. I mean, Joseph brings his entire family then to Egypt to enjoy his position and his benefits. I mean, look at the grace the brothers get when they don't deserve it. I mean, think of your life and my life and what we deserve, and God is so merciful not to give us what we do deserve. So what do we learn from this amazing story? How does Genesis kind of pull these things together at the end and these great set of verses in chapter 50 which basically say what God or what man meant for evil God used for good here's some things that I want us to consider this morning as we think about the God who redeems and what this might say to our lives first God points to this that it's going to happen through all of scripture. His mercy and his grace is always on display as a God who redeems. I started this morning by saying God knows all. God is over all. And God trumps any sin man can devise to try and stop his redemptive plan. God had promised Abraham that he would bless him and His descendants plus bless all the people of the earth through him. Joseph goes to Egypt to live that out. People literally are saved because they don't starve to death. No person, no situation, no obstacle can ever disrupt or stop the plan of salvation of God. God uses man's sin and he redeems it. He uses the sin of those days which were dark and redeems it for his people. I mean, look at the images of the gospel we have in this story alone. Again, as we begin this series, Pastor Ronnie said so clearly, as you go through Genesis all the way through Revelation, the thread through all of Scripture is about redemption in the gospel. And we see it very clearly here. Think about this with me. When we see the deep love of a father for his son, Jacob, for Joseph. Doesn't it bring back images of God the Father for God the Son? And we see Joseph stripped of his robes, sold for silver, handed over to a world that unjustly treated him. Makes me think of Christ. That he was tempted to sin in Potiphar's house, but he would not fall prey to that sin. Hebrews says that Christ was tempted in every way, yet was without sin. He was one who was despised and rejected. Joseph was, who had an ultimate purpose, though, to face this sin. He would be used by God to bring about the salvation of many. Look at the parallels, how how people would be saved through the life of one person. Folks, this morning, many gather around the world if it's Sunday in that part of the world to worship Christ, the one who died for the salvation of the world. How God has a plan to redeem his people, and he is trustworthy to do so. How Joseph's brother meant for evil, God used for good. When you think of the crucifixion, man meant that for evil, but God used it for good. We could go on and on and on. We see a loving, merciful God displayed in this story. And you would say, how can that be? I mean, look at all the hardships Joseph went through. A loving, merciful God doesn't mean that he doesn't. That he removes all obstacles in our life so that we have it easy. But no harm came to Joseph in this story. Oh, he had hard times, but we don't see anywhere where harm came to Joseph, do we? God is always at work redeeming us personally, redeeming his people corporately. Always. They're like train tracks many times that run parallel as God is working in my life to restore and and put me back into a place where I'm in a right relationship with him and now I can be used by him. He's doing the same thing corporately. That's the activity of God. And God's plan will never be broken or disrupted by sin. He always brings about his purposes. And one day... God will bring about this final redemption that our world is awaiting for. God will save his people once and for all. So to close, I want us to look at some personal applications from this story of Joseph. This redeeming of his life. And as we read a large chunk of scripture, you'll have to stick with me and I'll try to give you some reference points so you can go back and study them but in our small groups this week these will appear and we'll dig in a little deeper what was God doing to redeem Joseph's life what do we see in a life that has been redeemed when we look at Joseph's life first we see in uh, chapter 39 verse 9 Joseph did not minimize personal sin a redeemed life does not minimize personal sin. I mean, you can try to call in a mistake, an error, or all these kind of things, but Joseph was clear that any sin would be a sin against God, and he would not do it. He, he knew the danger and the heartbreak that sinning against God would bring. Let's face it, if this were a soap opera and he's in Potiphar's house, it would be pretty uh, steamy, wouldn't it? There's no storyline because Joseph runs out. All sin is against God, and when we try to minimize personal sin, we fail to deal with sin because you think it's not a big deal. It is. Joseph knew the danger and the reality of sin, so he ran a redeemed life wants to run from sin, not run to sin. You need to run today? Are there some things in your life that you just flat out need to run from? You know in your heart. Spiritual integrity means that uh, I'm honest about sin in my life. And I try to run from it the best I can. Confess I and mean, And acknowledging sin keeps our relationship with God strong. Are you minimizing sin today? Do you need to run from something? Second, Joseph cultivated a close personal relationship with God. I think when you look at his life, a redeemed life in Joseph, we see a life that had a close personal relationship with God. Because God is now directing his life, as we look at the end of these chapters. Joseph did not have some acquaintance with God. He had this relationship with God. He, he heard from God. And he was directed in his life by God. Third, Joseph had a genuine faith and trust in God. I mean, he waits two years in prison for the guys that he interprets their dream, their necks are saved. He's sitting in the Prison for two more years. I mean, just think of his life and the hard things that God allowed to come in. But he displays a life of genuine faith and trust. He lived knowing that uh, God is over all and in all, therefore, he could put his complete trust in God. God had already proved in his life by the end how faithful and trustworthy. God is, the same God that is faithful and trustworthy in your life and mine. Fourth, Joseph was a bold witness for God. I mean, once we get a little bit into the story, it's pretty obvious that Joseph wanted to live his life and represent God. I mean, there are times, if you know anything about that culture, if you stand before a pharaoh and you give up, bad report of his dream, there's a good chance they're taking your head off. But every opportunity he gets, even in Potiphar's house, he begins to speak about God. Even in the worst situations, when it's easier to keep quiet, he's bold about his faith. He had integrity in his life because he was a life that lived for God. There was no confliction that I see in these in chapters, Joseph really was a model employee, wasn't he? I mean, he's over everything in Egypt. He's over everything in Potiphar's house. I mean, the temptation had to be: look, I'm here. I'm a prisoner. I'm going to get some of this for myself. I got to figure out a way to get out of here. How about some treasure that I keep for myself? Isn't fair? We don't see that. We don't see that at all. He was the best employee there could be, and his testimony showed it despite his circumstances. How's your witness? Do you care more about gaining and getting ahead? Do you strive for personal gain or Jesus' fame in your life? And fourth, and a big chunk of this passage is all about this, this redeemed life that I see Joseph living at the end. Was a life of forgiveness, a model of the forgiveness of God to us lived out in Joseph's life. I mean, despite the sins of his brothers, Joseph forgives them and reconciles. They didn't come begging and crawling to him, he had decided in his heart he would forgive them. I think Joseph knew the power of forgiveness in his life and in the life of others. A redeemed life models. This redemption because it understands the depth and degree of forgiveness they've received from Christ. And then that, that depth and that degree means I must live it out in my own life. Hey, Because God forgave you, you have no right to withhold forgiveness from another person. Let me say that again. Because God has forgiven you, you have no right to not forgive other people. You must offer forgiveness, even to those who have hurt you deeply. And that's easier said than done, I understand. But in your heart, it takes a root and an understanding of the gospel and the depths of it to say, I will offer forgiveness regardless if it's ever carried out and asked for on the other party's behalf. There's some people here today probably that need to offer forgiveness to people in their life. You're bound by a heart of unforgiveness, Maybe somebody has hurt you deeply in your life and you're kind of in the chains in prison yourself. Look at Joseph. Maybe you have family members who have hurt you. Look at the freedom Joseph enjoys when forgiveness is not an issue anymore in his life. How do you deal with it? You need to confess it and repent of it. You need to acknowledge before God who knows your heart anyway. Turn it over. A redeemed life. Joseph, I see, starting at the beginning with this arrogance, this pridefulness, this, I'm going to be over you one day. But by the end, this tough circumstances of life, remember, God is always at work redeeming us personally and his people corporately. God takes Joseph through this time and refines him and he is faithful and trustworthy to be used now by God to save his people. If I have a street view, it's going to be pretty hard to see this story. You've got to read all 14 chapters, the Cliff Note version. And you can see the big picture. What's God doing? Why is God doing this? So in your own life, your own life, you might be going through tough times, and I know some this morning are, and you're wondering, what is God doing? I don't understand this. This is this is a hard time. Try to remember at some point you can step back and see this satellite view where God is taking you and redeeming you personally through a situation where eventually he's more able to use you for his purposes somewhere down the road. I wish... I could tell you it was done in an easier way. But God needs to deal with our sinfulness, our hearts, refining us, conforming us to the image of Christ so that he's now able to use us for the next purpose he has. The story of Joseph. Uh, uh, a life that God was redeeming, a life that God uses to redeem His people corporately. Let's pray. Father, this morning, thank you that you have given us scripture. and We are more blessed than other generations probably because we have your word in so many forms and ways. Through phones and iPads and in print. Lord, forgive us for not standing back and looking at Genesis all the way to Revelation. And seeing your great love and mercy and forgiveness that is offered and for seeing the Redeemer Jesus who was sent to bring about final redemption. God allow us this morning as we looked at this life of Joseph to see that this was just one piece of your story of redemption throughout scripture. Help us to remember that you are always at work redeeming us personally, restoring us, changing us back to what you want us to be. And at the same time, you're redeeming your people corporately. Oh, Lord, help us. Help us to see that. And Lord, may you help us to become A model of a redeemed life and consider some of the things we saw in Joseph's life in our own what are the things you are using in our life right now to form and reform us make them aware lead us through them so that you get the glory so that all things point to you you're faithful you're just We pray this in Christ's name this morning. Amen.